coming at you from the EBITDA Growth System Studios, looking out at the beautiful Rocky Mountains. My name is Dave Gapkiewicz, and I'm with Mike Watkins, and we want to welcome you to the Making Business Profitable podcast. This podcast is brought to you by EBITDA Growth Systems, where we guarantee to double the value of your company within three years or give you your money back. Good day, Dave. Good day, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing good. Uh, I got a couple guests here. Number one is uh, my dog. If you hear him in the background, his name's Jackson. He's a Bernese mountain dog, but he breathes really heavy, so you might you might hear him. And uh, second is one of the reasons I have that dog, Marnie Erbach. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome back, Marnie. Thanks. So I got this story I got to share about Marnie. So, uh, Marnie hired me when I was working uh, over at a uh, place in Boulder, and she's part of the hiring crew there. And uh, my daughter, since she was a little upset with me, uh, Taryn, I moved her from Philadelphia out here to Boulder. And she said, that's fine if you want to move me in high school, Dad, but I want a Bernese Mountain Dog. So, little did I know, the HR professional that uh, was hiring me is a bit of a Bernese Mountain Dog connoisseur of sorts, I guess. And uh, so I was talking to Marnie about this. Yeah, I know where to get this dog. So she said, okay, I called this person. They have one. And Dave, this isn't normal. You know, it's hard to find these puppies, so you better act on it. So I was like, what the heck? So I grabbed my daughter. We then went to the airport, flew down to Mesa, Arizona, grabbed our puppy, borrowed a puppy bag because I didn't have a puppy bag and I and I grabbed Jack's put him in the puppy bag and put him underneath the seat and his head was poked out by half the time and he was very very good but then I get back and then as I was looking at the apartment that the company was renting me well, we weren't allowed to have dogs in that apartment so it was just really interesting so Marnie uh Marnie was quite a pal she she let my dog stay with her a night or two with my daughter and uh, she was a big help, and she is my burner buddy as well as a good friend of EGS. So, without further ado, uh, everybody knows Marnie's here. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly about being in HR or being an HR professional. What do you think, Mike? I love it. Uh, I suspect there's more bad and ugly than good, but I don't know. I think Marnie is a very optimistic type person, so she's going to share some of the good. What are some of the good things about being an HR professional in your vantage point? Yeah, actually, um, I, as you mentioned, kind of prefer to focus on the good. Um, If it was all ugly, we would have very few HR professionals out there, I think. So to me, um, the good starts with the great company culture. Um, The employees that are there um, have high morale, they're happy to be there, they're productive, um, they might see a strong career path. Um, you know, overall, things are just feeling good, the vibe is good. So I, I gotta pick on you here. Mm-hmm. When you say great culture, what is a great culture? What does the picture of a great culture in a company look like? Um, you know, that can really encompass a lot of different things, but to me, um, a great company culture 
um, starts with management and um, communication with the employees, open door, um, having, you know, I guess, I guess it comes in a lot of different um, angles, but really um, from leadership and um, from HR, if I might add, um, great company events, um, strong benefits, great pay. I think that you all you wrap it into one into one thing that forms a great culture. So it's not just one typical thing. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I just wanted to explain that to all the people that that love listening to us. Well, where does leadership fit in that? Uh, I mean, you know, leadership creates the culture, obviously. But what else is there about a of the leadership team from a good standpoint? I guess. Um, that they're present. Um, to me, a, a strong leadership team is going to be involved in the day-to-day of your employees. You're going to have, as I've already mentioned, open door um, you know, communication. You're going to handle issues as they come. Um, they're engaged. Um, you know, they're, they're, part of your, they're part of your everyday and they understand um, the challenges that the employees are going through day in and day out. So that when we talk about the leadership team, you know, oftentimes that brings to mind like the executive leadership team, but we're really talking about anyone who's in a position, a management position. So even frontline managers are part of that leadership team. And it really, it's the frontline managers that, that need to be present and engaged as well. Yeah, I think um, frontline managers, supervisors, even mentors, um, they may not have that official title, of a supervisor or manager, but anybody who's in any leadership role definitely is a part of this. And I will say, if, if you have a strong frontline manager in, on the floor, I'm sure, I'm certain that it makes HR's job so much better. I love frontline HR managers. They're kind of the first line of defense, right? They're there to answer questions, deal with issues, and then oftentimes take it to HR, but a lot of times it's handled um, right then and there. What else, what else have you found to be uh, the good about being an HR professional? Um, I found through the years that being part of the, um, the management team and being a strategic partner, so um, kind of being involved with the team and that you know what the business looks like as a whole. You're there for planning, you're there for um, financial discussions, um, you understand the business, um, you know, from a different angle rather than just your day-to-day HR, where you may be talking with employees or completing reports. So it's a it's a much bigger, broader um, exposure that that I find to be part of the good part of HR. That's interesting because uh, you know, working with Fortune 100, Fortune 50 companies, I'd say it happened around the turn of the century, you know, 2000 or so. The, uh, the role of the um, HR business partner became you know, more pronounced. And the idea was that you have an HR professional embedded in the business unit so that they would be more of a strategic partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that HR business partner's role was to go and get the resources that that business unit needed from an HR standpoint. And, and uh, so I, yeah, I loved uh, the, the strategic nature of HR business partners, and maybe maybe that's what you're talking about, maybe not. But um, uh, you know, that's what I saw in Fortune 100 companies. And and I think uh, the deeper, the better the culture it is for any company. I think they realize that HR just isn't one person in one position. HR starts every; it's everywhere. 
It's everybody that participates in a business to help each other work together to get something accomplished that's that's larger, right? So every manager, just because they don't have HR in their title, they're they're part of making sure that experience and that leadership and everything is there present for employees, right? Yeah, and actually, Marnie, um, the couple of companies that I supported that were Fortune 100 companies that had uh, HR uh, business partners in the business units, those were VP-level individuals. I mean, so these companies were wildly successful and they understood the role of the HR professional and making sure that they were successful. And so those HR business partners were VP-level and employees. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and depending on the company, an HR business partner, you know, may not be at the VP level, but they are involved in the in the planning, um, maybe any change management, um, different, um, you know, I guess planning um, as it as it comes down the pipe from the executive team. So they're they're definitely involved in, in what happens uh, moving forward, not necessarily just looking backwards. Good deal. What about the bad stuff? Oh, there's, oh, there's, there's some there, bad stuff. There is. I thought HR was all perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about the good, um, and, and there are a lot more things to the good, actually. But if we transition over to the bad, um, you know, the culture may not be so great. You, you may have, you know, what I, what I consider those employees that are a little on edge. They're unsure. Um, they, they don't feel secure. Um, and because of that, you might see some um, high turnover, um, people coming and going a lot more frequently than you would you would care to see. Um, you know, I, I think part of that too does um, you know does kind of focus on leadership too, and what what is leadership doing to address those things? And if you don't see leadership stepping in um, to address those issues, um, that, that's also a not so great thing. That's a bad little engagement. So, so leadership, just a a manager sitting in his office all day and never coming out to see people and never understanding what his front line's doing and all that as, uh, is kind of what you're referring to. I I am, but, but in addition to that, it's the fact that maybe they don't care that much. Um, maybe they see, uh, employees as a number, you know, anybody's easily replaced. So that to me is a, is a bad, and it does happen, you know, in, in different organizations. I think we've all seen that. Yep. Yeah, and also uh, just on your earlier point with the negative culture, if if the business isn't performing well, and a business isn't hitting their marks, and the, and the manager is sharing, hey, you know, we're not doing very good, it makes employees feel really unsteady. So if business performance is lacking, employees don't feel like I'm safe. I'm going to have a job tomorrow, right? So. I think it's one of those things that we got to be cognizant of. If your business isn't performing, um, your employees, they know that because they're intuitive, right, Marnie? Absolutely. They have their pulse on, you know, what happens day in and day out. And um, if if performance, you're going to see that there is, um, there there may actually be no accountability. Um, There may be finger pointing going on um, within the different various teams at the organization and performance will, will begin to plummet. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I read an article, I think it was Harvard Business Review, what it may have been Fortune or something, that I came across a definition of, of culture that I really liked. And that definition is that uh, culture is the experience that your customers have with your value proposition. And so as you guys talk about the bad, the negative culture, the high turnover, the disengaged employees, um, 
the real nasty part about that is that's what your customers experience and then they move on because particularly the millennial buyer just doesn't want to uh, engage with a with a company that has a has a really poor culture. That's right. Oh, there's there's another another side to HR, isn't it? I mean, you got the good, the bad, and then you got the ugly part, don't you? You've always got the ugly part looming. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, I don't think uh, HR has a corner of the market on that. No, no, I don't think so. Everybody shares in the ugly. When it's yeah. ugly, everybody's in that soup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing. You know, when things get ugly, it's not just going to be ugly with HR. It's going to be ugly across the board. Yeah, yeah. So you, you know, you get this toxic environment. You know, is that what the ugly? That's the. That's the evidence of the, of the ugly, I guess. I think so. I think um, it's I think it's to be pointed out. You start out with the great culture, then the bad, the negative culture, and the ugly. It doesn't even say culture anymore. It just says toxic environment. Right. The culture has been lost. Maybe what you once had has declined and has turned toxic. Yeah. And when that happens, you will have um, what we've already mentioned: the lower productivity, low morale, lack of trust. Um, all kinds of um, really ugly things that happen within the workforce. And, and performance goes goes to pop. It does, Marty. And when you when you talk about culture going from good to bad to non-existent, um, I had a software company, and I wasn't in tune to the need to create the culture. And I think what's important for our listeners to understand is your company has a culture. And uh, you can either be purposeful about the culture that's created, or you can just let it happen. Typically, if you just let it happen, it turns into that toxic environment that you're talking about. Because that's what happened to me. I mean, before I knew it, I had this toxic environment, and uh, it was very difficult to turn that around. So I'm gonna put you on the spot, Marnie. This isn't in your notes. Uh, Give me an example. Have you ever worked in a toxic environment? Have you ever seen that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've all been in a situation where the environment's been poor. Um, and I, I have actually worked in an environment like that where employees did not, did not matter. And it was one of those where, first of all, if you came to the door and you were looking for a job, you were hired. Um, second of all, you were just placed out on the floor, um, do your job. And if you, if you made a squeak um, or if you made a mistake, you were right back out the door you just walked in. So I think there was little value on employees um, at, at that particular time and place. And oh. it was very noticeable from an HR perspective. That'd be, that'd be so tough. I mean, how do, you, how do you drive a business like that? Well, you know, the, uh, there's a tremendous amount of trust in that environment, isn't there, Marnie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lack of trust right there, front and center. Um, yeah, and so what happens with that is, again, um, you know, you're going to see the impact of that. What, what can happen is you, you may find yourself in a very hostile work environment, a lot, a lot of finger pointing, as previously mentioned, maybe some harassment, maybe some bullying. Those are all very ugly parts of HR, and they do exist. It's not just the thing that you read about or hear about. They are actually real. And when they come to life, um, more than you would hope that they would, um, what may happen is that you find yourself um, in a lawsuit. 
and um, nobody likes to be in that situation. No, no, not at all. Yeah, that. Uh, I think that the you know your typical small medium sized business owner doesn't really understand the exposure level that they might have um, from a, a negative culture. There's things taking place out on the floor that they're not aware of, and they think yeah, if I don't hear anything, I'm okay. And in fact, that's probably not the case. You you probably have some huge exposure every day when, when you're not in touch with your workforce. Uh, absolutely, and, and the worst thing you can do is ignore it or pretend that you didn't hear it. Um, so if you do get wind or you get a vibe or you a little bird comes and tells you about an issue that's happening in the workplace, best to jump on it and document exactly what you're doing to take care of that problem. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what do you what do you um, what do you do if you have a a the ugly going on? I mean, I mean, because again, I think I think we're saying the ugly is worse than the bad. So if you if your environment is toxic and, and the horse has left the barn and you're trying to get it back in, what what would you say are top three things you you know you should do? You know, I would probably target, um, deter, you know, and it's going to be different with every company. You know, where does the toxicity come from? Is it from a, a few, sometimes it can start with a few bad hires or people that are negative and um, spreading, you know, misinformation about the company. So it's dealing with those issues head on. Um, it's also opening up communication, um, letting, letting the staff and the employee population know what you're doing as a management team to address their concerns because a lot of times it's just um, you know the the team isn't the, the executive management team is um, they're not present and becoming present um, uh, you know more frequently I think is, is definitely positive. Yeah. And I'm noticing you keep coming back to management. I think mm-hmm. man is management and good management the only way around the only way to turn around a toxic environment. I think that's where you start um, because I do think it, it does trickle down throughout the company and um, you know getting others involved is clearly part of that but I do think it starts at the top. Love it. Yeah, yeah I mean that's that's good stuff and what what's really interesting Marnie is uh, it's in my experience where you have um, a toxic environment one of the high performers is also the person who's the uh, ringleader for the toxic environment. So as a business owner, you have this dilemma, you know, do you get rid of that high performer who's just killing your business? You know, do you, do you rip off the band-aid? And um, what, what have you seen in that regard? I mean, isn't it, isn't it true? The high performer is protecting his or her turf and just just negative a, a real problem yeah and bringing others down sure and um yes i i do believe in ripping the band-aid off and i, I think i think you need to make the effort to address it directly with the person um, or people who may be in this position um and, and let them know that you're you're aware but if it doesn't go away and you're unable to fix the problem and it's affecting others um, that's when you got to rip the band-aid off and move on okay make, make that decision Okay, so I have another curveball for you, Marnie. I'm ready. So if you are in charge of HR in a, in a shop that just say it has 50 to 150 people and you see the culture making a turn and you identify it just a mile away, you see it coming, 
what what can you do as an individual to try to right size that? What what does how does that feel to be in that position to see it, especially with a lot of experience, see it going south, mm-hmm. and then at that point, what do you do about it? You know, for me personally, I think having experience and exposure to that type of um, environment, I actually find myself out on the floor. (laughs) So when I know something like that is happening, um, I actually get out of my office um, a lot more frequently, make the rounds, um, talk with people a lot more than maybe I previously had, and just become a lot more engaged personally. Um, And again, that's by getting out of my office. So that, that's kind of like the Marty way of doing it. No, well, I think it's the right way of doing it. Either you can sit in your office and watch, you know, Hellfire and Brimstone happen, or you can actually be part of a solution. It might not move the entire business, but at least make people feel safe. Right. And I, and I think it's, um, it's easier and more comfortable uh, for employees to talk to you when you're actually out in their environment, on their, uh, maybe in their work area, rather than having them have to stop you know, if you're in a shop, stop their machine or stop whatever process they're in the middle of and go see you in your office. You know, it's a much bigger deal for the employee to do that rather than you approaching them while they're um, while they're working. So that's kind of how I would handle that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's great stuff. That's, that's great stuff. When we, when we um, deliver our management development curriculum, it involves um, dealing with conflict, having difficult conversations, um, um, uh, just, just other how to communicate well just I mean in the communication in the uh, in the way you deal with the employees when something goes sideways how do you how do you get it smoothed out yeah, how so, do you how do you bring it how do you bring it to light in a way that everybody's comfortable talking about it and you sure, get it there to where sure. we get it out on, a, out on a table the right way not just be toxic or aggressive yeah I mean dealing with difficult people so most managers don't have that skill that you have, Marty, and so they, they'd rather stay in the office and quote unquote be warm, safe, and dry when in fact they aren't warm, safe, and dry. I mean, it's, it's, they're headed for a lawsuit or something. Yeah, and, and I do think um, that, that it's more comfortable to not deal with being uncomfortable, right? Sure. So you do everything yeah. you can to not have to go talk to that employee about something that, that is not, you know nice and good and positive so it, it does take practice but it, it does i mean it's the best thing to do absolutely so you got any final words to those hr professionals that may or may not be listening just to uh <laughs> as far as uh just getting better in their career and keeping their head up or trying to be part of a solution you got anything that you would uh, like to part um, I would say, you know, be equally as involved um, as a member of the management team as you are um, with the employees and getting yourself out of your office and on the floor. So that fine balance, I think, is is important and will really benefit anybody in an HR profession and any position. Well, Marnie, I know we feel the same way about employees. I mean, machines sit in a shop or, or whatever units you use to produce revenue, uh, but nothing happens without people. You know, nothing in a business goes in a good direction without good people. So, and a lot of people have a lot of good in them and they just need to be led well with a great amount of communication, strong leadership to create that culture and make sure that uh, if you're an HR professional, that you're a big part of the solution every day. Um, One thing I've always really appreciated about good HR people is they're 
always driving the managers as well as the people on the floor to be better, to be them best, be their best selves every day. So HR is super important. We can't have enough of it. Marnie, thank you so much for joining Mike and I. And uh, Mike, until next time, buddy. Right on, Dave. Right on, Mike. We at EBITDA Growth Systems do what we do to impact lives through improving business performance. To get access to our content or engage us in any way, you can reach our contact page or any of our information on our website at www.ebitagrowthsystems.com.